Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this Come Follow Me lesson of the Book of Mormon. This is going to be lesson number 37, and we're going to be covering 3rd Nephi chapters 8 through 11, and it will cover the time period of September the 14th through the 20th. Uh, before we get into this, I just want to read a couple things about the timing of some of these events here. Um, Elder McConkie said the Nephites adjusted their calendar so as to begin a new dating era with the birth of Jesus. And according to their chronology, the storms and the darkness and the crucifixion came to pass on the fourth day of the first month of the 34th year. Then, in the ending of that year, several months after the ascension of, on Olivet, Jesus ministered personally among the Nephites for many hours on many days. He came as a man descending out of heaven, introduced himself as the God of Israel, permitted the multitude to feel the prints of the nails in his hands and feet, and to thrust their hands into his side, called a quorum of twelve, gave them keys and powers and authorities, healed the Nephite sick, and introduced the sacramental ordinance in the western hemisphere, taught the people in plainness, and with an excellence surpassing much that was done in the Palestinian ministry, gave them the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and ascended to his Father. Uh, so as we read uh, these events here that, that transpire, um, some of the events, we're not sure of the timing. There's a bit of a contradiction in the scripture. One says that uh, at the end of the year he appeared. Uh, the other says that uh, it was soon after his uh, ascension into heaven. Uh, we don't know. Joseph Finley Smith, I'll read a quote later on that talks about that. Uh, but the, the, the important thing is that he did appear to him. It doesn't matter of the timing so much. So in the beginning of chapter 8 then, uh, it mentions the timing again, that there were um, many miracles that were wrought by the, by the people. But then as we get into verse 3, uh, it mentions that there should be, they were wondering about the timing of the events of Jesus' death. Uh, but then it says in verse 5, it came to pass in the 30 and 4th year in the first month, on the 4th day of the month, there arose a great storm, such an one as never has been known in all the land. And there was also a great and terrible tempest. Elder... Um, our brother Hugh Nibley mentions this and says that this could have been as much as an 8 or even a 12 on the Richter scale type of earthquake that would have occurred, wiping out entire cities and areas, uh, much like uh, other earthquakes that have happened on, on Earth. Uh, there was one in uh, 1950 in Assam, uh, which, which devastated uh, a whole bunch of people. It killed about 500,000 people. Um, this was uh, near Tibet, near China. Um, or in Tibet, I should say, near China, <clears throat> back in 1950. Um, and so this was very similar to that, which was a 12 on the Richter scale. Um, going on, talk, this, this chapter then talks about all the cities that are destroyed, um, and uh, some were buried, some were uh, swallowed up in the sea, and so on. Uh, verse 19, there were thunderings and lightnings. Uh, there's a great earthquake that happens. Uh, thick darkness upon all the face of the land, so that they could feel the vapor of darkness. Uh, they couldn't have any light. Verse 21, 22, there was no light that could be seen, neither glimmer, neither sun nor moon. Uh, and it came to pass in verse 23 that this lasted for the space of three days, that there was no light seen. Now we know that Jesus was in the tomb for three days. 
the, the biblical account, however, only accounts for about uh, 40, about 50 some odd hours, 54 hours of Jesus being in the tomb. Brother Cummings, who did a paper years ago, talked about the possibility that uh, Jesus may have died on Thursday and not on Friday. If he died on Thursday, then that would give us three full days of Jesus being in the tomb to coincide with the three days of darkness that the Nephites are having here in, on this continent. So I, I kind of tend to lean toward the fact that Jesus died on Thursday and that uh, he was actually in the tomb for three full days. Chapter 9, then, we have uh, Jesus uh, announcing the names of the cities that were destroyed and uh, mentioning that he, he's caused them to be destroyed because of their great wickedness and, and to cover their sins. Uh, and then in verse 13, he, he tells those that are surviving here to repent and be converted, that he can heal them, heal them spiritually, heal them uh, from their sins. And... Uh, and again, he talks, continues on about the destruction that happens and calling the people to repentance. He mentions in verse 20 uh, that they shall offer a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He mentions that the law of Moses has been fulfilled in him. Uh, he mentions again in verse uh, 20 uh, to be baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and he talks here about the Lamanites having been converted at one time, but they didn't know it. Um, he mentions in verse 21, I have come into the world to bring redemption to the world, to save the world from sin, uh, and therefore repent. Verse 10, uh, he then talks about how he would have gathered them. Uh, again, this is a voice that is heard by the people throughout the land. Um, and verse 9, then it says, uh, it came to pass that the three days passed away, and it was in the morning. Uh, so in the morning uh, is when they, they begin to see the light here. Uh, and the light of the day comes and the darkness is dispersed from off the land. Uh, the earth did cleave together, so the earthquake uh, finally stops. So there must have been some rumbling still going on of the earth while Jesus was in the tomb. But then afterwards, when he gets resurrected, uh, then the morning comes. Then uh, as we get into uh, the, the people are... are um, are mourning the fact that they have uh, that their kindred have been killed um, and then it says in verse 18 in the ending of the 30 and fourth year uh, that Jesus um, is going to appear to them uh, so let's go into chapter 11 here um, now this whole this chapter here um, let's see who is this Hugh Nibley said this is the whole thing the Book of Mormon is coming toward and afterward it all looks back to this we have 30 pages of Christ's words here. There, that, that's more than we find in any gospel in the New Testament. I notice you have 28 pages in Matthew, 16 pages in Mark, 21 pages in Luke, and 24 pages in John. But in the Book of Mormon, we have 30 pages of Christ's teachings. We have a better source for the teachings of Christ, of course. He says he's going to teach you what I taught them there. It parallels the New Testament quite closely, but very significantly, it gives more. So Joseph Smith has done a... a, a an, an impressive thing here if this was his writing uh, what a hor horrendous burden for a mortal to, to take that on how would he dare to do the, that sort of thing so we know that this is translated material not something Joseph came up with chapter 11 then uh, we get into the coming of Jesus in verse 3 the Nephites first hear a voice <clears throat> that's uh, that they hear it says uh, they heard a voice as if it were out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame, 
that it did not cause to quake, yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not, and again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it. And their eyes were towards the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly towards heaven, from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard. And it said unto them, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. On this occasion the voice of the Father had been heard introducing his Son, and commanding people to hearken to the words of the Son. This introduction is unique in that it adds the phrase, In whom I have glorified my name. No doubt this has reference to Christ's fulfillment of the atoning sacrifice that makes immortality and eternal life possible for mankind, which is the work and glory of the Father. That was by Millet McConkie. We know that uh, there are two other events where Jesus is, is announced by, by Heavenly Father. One is when, Joseph, when uh, John the Baptist was uh, baptized Jesus, uh, that his voice was heard, and also on the Mount of Transfiguration. Though both of those were before Jesus' atoning sacrifice. The other time that he hear, that we have a record of is when Joseph Smith saw God and Heavenly Father and that God introduced his son Jesus Christ and told Joseph to hear him as well. Uh, verse uh, 8 mentions that they weren't sure what this meant. Uh, they thought that maybe it was just an angel, but then it's clarified in verse 10 uh, where Jesus says, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. And so, and so then the people all fall to the earth in worshiping Jesus while he's with them there. And, uh, and they, all, um, they all come forth, it mentions in verse 14, Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side. And so they're able to come and feel the marks of the nails in his hands and feet and, uh, and go forward one by one till they do that. Um, mentions in verse 15 that they all go forth one by one. This is an unprecedented event here that uh, we have where he's doing this. Um, but uh, but that each person is allowed to go one by one uh, to do that. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. He does not have to deal with us in the mass. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. When Christ died, he died for you individually, just as much as if you had been the only man or woman in the world. And so Jesus uh, has, done this, has done this for us individually. Now, since there was about 2,500 people that, that are mentioned here that, uh, that have this experience, if uh, each person just took 10 seconds each to have this experience with Jesus, that would have taken at least seven hours to do. So as we, as we said, Jesus has an infinite amount of time to spend for, with each of us. And so this is a significant event that's happening here. Uh, verse 16, it says, uh, when they all had gone forth and witnessed for themselves, they did do the Hosanna shout. Again, the Hosanna shout is uh, usually... Uh, was done to, as a part of the worship of Jehovah during the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember when Jesus comes to the, into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, that they also do the Hosanna shout, and that was in the fall of the year, or no, that was, in, uh, that was around uh, the Passover time when Jesus did that. So, <clears throat> then in verse 18, um, the Lord speaks to Nephi and calls him forth from the group, from the multitude, and uh, gives him authority to uh, be the one that's going to be the prophet. 
when Jesus is gone, so that he's been given authority to uh, to do the ordinances. So he's been given keys. Now, the question is often asked, uh, did, didn't, didn't Nephi already have the priesthood? And the answer is yes. Um, Nephi was not being given any additional priesthood by the Lord, but rather he was receiving new authority to perform ordinances associated with the new organization that Christ established among them. With old things done away, Nephi was given power and authority to administer in the new things in a dispensation with the fullness of gospel ordinances. Nephi, in turn, was then able to ordain, or in our terminology, set apart others to establish and set in order this new church. Remember that uh, when Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery uh, when the church was organized on April 6, 1830, that all those who had been baptized prior to the organization of the church had to be rebaptized, because now they were being baptized as members of the church, which didn't exist when they were originally baptized. Which makes me wonder if uh, during the second coming, when the millennium occurs, that we'll probably have to be rebaptized again, because that will be a new dispensation and a new organization of the church with Jesus at the head. Uh, in verse 25, then we are taught the the baptismal prayer that they received at the time which said having authority given me of Jesus Christ I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost amen in our day the wording is having been commissioned of Jesus Christ I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost amen now the difference in these two prayers is, is in the introductory part in the Book of Mormon the disciples were counseled to say having authority one possibility for explaining this difference is that the disciples in the Book of Mormon received their authority directly from Jesus Christ. Therefore, they rightfully could say, having authority given me of Jesus Christ. However, in this dispensation, priesthood bearers have been given the power to baptize from John the Baptist, who was commissioned by Jesus Christ to come to earth and restore this authority. Therefore, in this dispensation, we use the words, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ. And that was a quote by Daniel Ludlow. All right, also, um, and Jesus is talking in verse 29 about the evils of contention, uh, that we should avoid that as at all possible. Um, doesn't matter what you argue about, even if you're right, you shouldn't. You still shouldn't argue. Uh, he talks then about, in 33, 34, about the importance of baptism. He then goes on to talks about the doctrine of Christ. And basically, the doctrine of Christ is pretty much the same as what Nephi taught. Uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism by the immersion, and the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. That's basically the, the doctrine of Christ. All the other things that we do are in addition to that, but those are the basic doctrines. Uh, I bear testimony that these things are true, and that this supernal experience that the Nephites had of being able to go up and see the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and to um, feel the marks of his hands and feet is something that I think that we will experience when we when we have this opportunity, uh, when we um, when we also uh, are able to see the Savior in His resurrected state, um, we know that uh, that in uh, Elder McConkie's final uh, testimony, let me just read you his testimony that talks about this and the experience that we may each have. Elder McConkie said in April of 1985, "I testify." that he is the son of the living God and was crucified for the sins of the world. He is our Lord, our God, and our King. This I know of myself, independent of any other person. I am one of his witnesses, and in a coming day I shall feel the nail marks in his hands and in his feet, and shall wet his feet with my tears. But I shall not know any better then than I know now that he is God's almighty son, that he is our Savior and Redeemer, and that salvation comes in and through his atoning blood and in no other way. I bear testimony that these things are true and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next week. Bye.